and welcome back to another episode of In the Sheds on Code with Kingy, where I sat down with a former All Black and former coach of mine in Scott Waldrum. Now, Scooter is by far the most transparent guest I've had on the show, and with that, we covered off everything from his breakthrough, his debuts, his injuries, and we even touched on some of his opinions on certain facets of the game. So, hopefully, you guys get as big a kick out of listening to this as I did the first time round. Enjoy. Thank you very much, Scooter, for, for jumping on the podcast. Um, I've been meaning to get a few more guests on, and knowing a little bit about your career, I thought it'd be cool to put the feelers out to you, and thankfully you've accepted the invitation. So, yeah, props to you, my man. Nah, no worries, Kingy. Always always good for a yarn to, to talk rugby and uh, let people know what it's r- really like, I guess. Mm-hmm. You'll see the, uh, the, the, the highlights and all the good stuff, but... Um, yeah, there's a lot to a rugby career, and uh, people go through a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, totally, totally. So why don't we start from day dot, bro? So, where did you grow up, and how did you start playing footy? So I grew up in Wanamata, um, renowned for all its <laughs> famous people. Um, I guess uh, you know, obviously Pitiwepu, Tana, all those sort of guys. You know, coming from Wainui as well. Bit of a reputation for producing some some decent rugby players. Very much a rugby league community back then as well because rugby league was huge in Wainui you know the national uh, the Wainui team used to compete in like in the um the NRL 10s and stuff like that and all nines and all of that so league was pretty big but uh, my old man was was always a, a rugby man and he played for Wainui he played over 100 premier games for them and from age five um I just started playing rugby um he was my coach right through till um under 13s um, when when you move on to college and everything, so yeah, pretty much just grew up playing rugby, running around at five, tackling and bare feet. Um, before things <laughs> changed a little bit these days, but and then from there just sort of progressed through. Sort of was lucky enough to get picked up for Hutt Valley Reps and and Wellington uh, under twelves. First time I got to meet the the famous Jerry Collins. Uh, was was back then a twelve year old and he was an absolute beast back then, um, so I was glad he was always on my side. And then yeah, through college and it, it just went from there. So you know, pretty standard for a lot of kids sort of growing up playing rugby in those days, really. Mm-hmm. Now you, you could go on to go to Silverstream, but you grew up in Wainui Amata. How hard was it for you to get into that school? And what 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 you know were you drawn to that school simply because of the rugby? Yeah, I actually um, I asked Mum about that not that long ago, and I was like, well, how did they end up at Silverstream? And um, I went to St Bernard's Intermediate, which is over in Lower Hutt, so I was busing over there for that, and, and the college, St Bernard's, was pretty keen on me to go there. I was actually playing water polo for the St Bernard's College team under-16s when I was at Intermediate, and that was coached by the principal, and you know they, they were pretty keen to, to get me to go there, but... Mum said that for some reason I just I came home one day and was just dead set on wanting to go to Silverstream. Um, I hadn't had really had any connection or anything before that, and she just said from there I was just that's all I wanted to do. So they they enrolled me in the the year my first year at uh, that would have been the college was the first year that they opened 
opened it up to Wainui, so um, kids from Wainuimata hadn't, as, as a day boy, um, hadn't been allowed in the past, so uh, me and um, one other guy that I knew from Wainui were the first two two kids to go there, so we used to have to get up, catch a bus from, from Wainui to Lower Hutt, and then jump on the train um, with all the Lower Hutt kids and train up to up to Silverstream, so took uh took me nearly nearly an hour and a half two hours to get to school and back every day but don't regret it i um i think it's probably one of the best decisions i ever made i certainly think going to that school and and my the influence that rugby had on me from there certainly played a, a key role in getting me to where i was mm-hmm. now a lot of people make a big deal these days about all these kids that go from smaller schools and you know, a, a lot said of like your St. Kent's and your Scots in terms of the poaching, but you mentioned yourself in terms of the, the platform that Silverstream gave you to then propel you to the higher rugby ranks. Do you think that you, that say you had a stuck at St. Bernard's, do you think you would have ended up, you know, where you did with your rugby career? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I would have. I don't know. Though um, St. Bernard's had actually had a pretty good rugby team back there and, and um Silverstream, the the years I was there, we actually weren't that good. <laughs> um, so it probably it wasn't so much the um, the actual team, or you know, like we 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 got decked by St Pat's Town, Wellington Cole, lost to them all three years. You know, we managed to beat St Bede's and, and New Plymouth Boys and stuff, but we um, yeah, we we had a pretty average team. We actually lost to High my first year in the first of team. And that was the first time um, I think Silver Dream ever lost a Hut High, and Hut High ended up in the Premier, and we spent half a year in Premier Two. That was the first time Silver Dream ever played in Premier Two um, as well. So, yeah. But in terms of the coaching we got, though, it was some some great, um, some massive influences. So, um, Father Mark Walls, who was uh, a pretty renowned coach at, at Silver Dream back in the day, coached the. The famous '88 year when they they went unbeaten, um, and they had guys like John Leslie and and then you know he was back coaching Silverstream, and then we had Tim Mannix, who's um, he's huge in in Silverstream first fifteen coaching at the moment. Um, he's just given so many years, but being a former Hurricane um, and that as well, you know having guys like that sort of to help and help you learn your rugby knowledge and grow your your understanding of the game certainly. Um, Certainly was it was a big influence, and it's funny that that team. I think we had we had six six guys go on to play NPC. Um, for that, we had um, one obviously myself playing for the uh, ABs, but then Aaron Persico um, went on played for Italy, and then we had Luke Marnie, guys like that. Um, we had quite a few that um, actually played for the Hurricanes and Tim Fairbrother and stuff, but. We just yeah, for some reason we just couldn't put it onto the <laughs> into the results. We just weren't that flash, but everyone actually went on and had quite good rugby careers from there. So um, um, I, I certainly think it it had an influence, but not necessarily the the players around. But I think it's the coaching and the mentors, which which is what helps develop a player. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned all those guys that kicked on to play the professional game. Like, do you because you you look at kids now. And so much is made of being in the academy and making all these rep teams, and it's almost as if you miss out on your under 16s or your under 18s. You sort of miss the boat or the opportunity to then crack on because 
it's almost as if there's a lot of politics that goes into you know making rep teams or kicking on and playing for Wellington, yada yada yada. That yeah, but I mean, like, was it similar to like your time? Like, were those guys really talented at school, and you just never quite clicked as a team, or were they guys that sort of stuck away at you know sort of plugged away at rugby, you know, put their head down at the club scene and then kicked on? Like, has like has much changed between what you're seeing now at the school level, and was it similar to what it was like for you? Oh no, I think it's, it's massively different now, and I, I personally I don't know if it is to the benefit of rugby. You know, obviously there's a lot with the schoolboys rugby being on TV. Um, there is a lot of expectation that that guys need to make academies and be in these rep teams right through, and if they're not, you know, they're not just good enough. And I think we miss all those late developers and those guys that just battle away and then actually play a bit of rugby and and just slowly develop from there. I mean, for myself, you know, I, I none of them, they weren't superstars. They were just, you know, they were quality players, and and all of that in their time. But uh, you know, they certainly weren't, weren't the superstars. And I, my first year, so when I left school, um, was the very first year of the Wellington Rugby Academy as well. Um, so we had a massive intake. They ended up taking ten guys who were their second year out of school and ten guys first year out of school. So we had a, a big group of twenty come into that um, and it was a shit it was a bloody it was a it was a good group of 20 kids I mean pretty much everyone went on to play professionally from there but um, you know they weren't they weren't in there straight away you know like these days you leave school and you know players are contracted to the Lions and you know got provincial contracts and if you must if you haven't got one of those by the time you leave school within you know, you, you tend to drop off or think there is an opportunity. And it is getting harder for kids to to get in because I mean, if a union's paying money for a player, they're not going to not want to use them. So, mm. you know, that, that player is, is most likely to probably have first choice. And, you know, the, the union or the coaches may say, oh, well, that's not true. But, you know, the reality is you're paying for that player. So you're more likely to, to have them and, and, and go from there. And you're probably not going to go looking down the local rugby field to see who's who's playing well if you've already got someone lined up and, oh, yeah. and I, you know personally I think that is that is the case and I've, I've definitely seen it um, I've seen some bloody talented kids who you know were good at, at school you know not the superstar but they've come out to club rugby and they're actually really good club players they're you know co- constantly playing at a high standard and you think mate this kid deserves a chance but just doesn't get a look in because there's already a, you know, a, one or two kids in the books um, mm. in that position and, and they're, they're not going to make it. So, you know, I think, I think we are missing the boat a bit um, because of that and I think we're, we're throwing around too much money and contracting players too early without actually seeing them perform out of school. Yeah, yeah. Well, being around the club rugby scene myself, yeah, just like what you've observed, it's... It, it is so tough for guys who are plugging away at club level and are, are pretty much you know MVPs week in week out for their club side, but it's almost as if the, the powers that be aren't willing to take a chance on you know like a 22 or 23 year old because they'd rather get the next big thing coming from school and especially like with Wellington you know if, if we're being brutally honest they've been pretty bad in terms of like with their scouting maybe besides the likes of Christchurch you know with, with the Canterbury setup who tend to you know like from what I've heard you know sort of pick all the battlers and then they're the ones that end up going on to crack all these higher honour teams um, 
yeah, it, it is just really unfortunate because, yeah, of course, like when guys leave school and when you're playing club rugby, you sort of know unless you're in those groups that you're essentially playing rugby for fun. But, yeah, it can be um, pretty disheartening for, for guys, especially like when they're local Wellington boys and, you know, they're performing really well at their position. And then, you know, the, the union just goes and picks up some kid from out of the region or some other guy who's maybe got one or two years experience from out of the region. So, Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the trouble is with school rugby being you know so accessible for everyone it's on tv you've got more and more of these talent scouts and stuff um especially for new zealand you got league scouts coming over and you know offering contracts for guys for under 20s stuff like that you know you got super rugby chasing players and everyone that it, it, the unions probably feel they have to sign on these guys as quick as possible and try mm. and pick up the, the best talent but the the long term is like I look at um the uh, might have ten cup this year and there's a lot of players who Wellington like Wellington rugby contract I'm sure other provinces probably have the same issue they contract them early get them for a couple of years spend all their time developing and then now I can see them all back playing for their home provinces mm. <laughs> you know it's like well you've just invested all this money and all this time into a player and the the actual one who's benefited the most is the province that he's his home province that he's gone back to because now he's you know he's played for four years of of adult rugby and he's you know at his peak probably or playing his best so there's there's a lot to be said about the academy and its role and you know how we're doing things and you know i, I guess it's it's changing times as well at the moment the money's not there now obviously mm. with uh what's going on around the world so maybe it is something that they need to relook at and how they invest their their time and effort into into players and you know maybe local is is the way to go because I mean I don't certainly don't see a lack of talent in Wellington rugby that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, fingers crossed. But getting back to you, bro. So you mentioned that you're part of that first group of players leaving school to be um, thrown into this Wellington rugby academy. So what was the plan when you left school? Did was your last year? You know, you make all these rep teams and you're like, yep. I want to give this professional rugby thing a go or did you have a, a trade that you wanted to to jump into when you left school yeah I, I left school and i was like jeez i don't know what i want to do what do i actually want to do i i you know i was small i didn't think rugby was you know that would the dream that would have been awesome but i didn't really think rugby was the long-term path yeah I'd, i guess I guess at school, my highlight was doing sport and being involved in sport. You know, you know, not only rugby, athletics. I loved athletics. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty heavily involved in that, and you know, I'd put my hand up for any sport I could do. So when this academy thing came up and I got accepted, I was like, oh sweet, there's something to do next year. So, um, and then they were involved with uh, CIT, which was a tertiary education place, which is no longer there, and CIT had. Uh, course exercise science pretty much your your personal training physical nutritional um sort of pathways to whatever you wanted to do so um, i ended up jumping on and and doing that um for two years while i was part of the academy and then even after i finished that i because you, you do your placements in a gym as part of it and everything and i did my a couple of weeks at a, a couple of different gyms through that time and by the end of that I was like oh, actually I don't want to I don't want to work at a gym I don't want to I don't really want to do this 
so then yeah by the by the time I, I finished that a couple of years out of school I ended up building um, I was working for a family friend I was just um, laboring just a hammer hand you know I wasn't doing an apprenticeship or anything like that and then just just slowly ticking away at my rugby you know club rugby was going really well um, I had a couple of good years first year out of school playing club rugby and you know, I was slowly sort of making a name for myself still had the reputation of being too small and that's when kind of seven sort of started the, the door to seven started opening and I started sort of heading that way a bit more. Like I played a lot of sevens at school and and that and out of school, but you know that wasn't. I didn't really think of that as a professional um, career path either. But that started picking up, and then I ended up getting um, a a training contract or a contract with New Zealand Sevens, um, and then yeah, my career just kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Well, I got two parts in this, Nick, but but you you touch on being small, but from what I've heard, you know, you were you were always the quickest on the park. You know, back in your days, I remember hanging around with the Avalon boys and they used to tell me that you and Thomas would literally catch from the kickoff and then pass it between the two years and you'd run 100 metres and score a try. So was that something that was relayed to you, like, since you were at school? And did you were you ever deterred by it or did you use it as motivation to prove people wrong? Or maybe not prove people wrong, but just prove yourself right? Oh, definitely motivation. Like, I, um, <laughs> I, I had one coach tell me he was oh, the Wellington Lions coach you know he told me and and then he put it even he put it in the papers because the reporter asked him you know um you know where does Scott Waldrum sit and I'd been um I'd gone player of the year for the Wellington club for the second year in a row and he still and he said no nah, too small um so I certainly had his motivation and to, uh, to prove people wrong and and I think being small it meant I had to learn to tackle um better you know I couldn't just be big and try to smash guys. I had to actually get my technique right and and worked hard to you know put players on the grounds. Particularly you know being first year out of school and playing you know club rugby, you know and playing against some pretty bloody big guys. And I was weighing about seventy six kgs, soaking wet. So you know you, if, if I wasn't making my tackles, well then I was I was no bloody good as an open side flanker to anyone. So it was yeah it was it was motivation and um, it was certainly um, meant I had to work on. On my, my skills and you know being being fast was definitely an advantage and that and then you know that's and that was sort of all connected with the sevens is just I loved running and it was you know doing athletics and stuff growing up and I still did it when I when I first left school as well but yeah being fast certainly had an advantage and you know being a forward that was fast you know and the backs you're always kind of marked by somebody who is reasonably quick as well but by being a forward and you if you've got a little bit of space it was certainly a lot easier to get away and uh, yeah definitely paid off there was a there was a couple of times that we did i did actually score tries from from kickoff and you know, one one i remember in particular was against uh Petone. they kicked it off and i sort of caught it and i just moved out of the way from the guy who was flying up to hit me as i caught the ball and it just ended up making this big gap and i sort of took off downfield and then um the Number eight, Dan Ferrani, was um, he was standing sort of at, at the back of the field, covering the back, waiting for the kick to come down, and I just ended. And he was, you know, Samoan um, seven, Samoan international and stuff. And then uh, just yeah, one on one, you could just see the look on his face because I had pretty much half a field just one on one, and all I did was just sort of head straight to the sideline, run around him and around under the posts, and there was he knew there wasn't much he could do, and you know, things like that were certainly. Um, a highlight and, and having that speed paid off. 
mm. and, and it was it was different you know it was um it was an x factor you know that that people and coaches sort of used to think that added to my game so it, it definitely helped yeah i mean mate like when i turned up to avalon you were still doing that stuff to what half the bloody premier team and, and even when you come and play for the, when you come play with us you know you're still probably the best player on the part but the, the second part to my question was you, you talk about your love for sevens and obviously you mentioned your size and you mean you, you were renowned for getting over the ball really well and you talk about your love for fitness so that was never a problem so when you look at the the situation with the sevens now you know where, where these guys are you know are based in Tauranga you know 12 months of the year and they're, they're fully dedicated to sevens rather than spending you know the winter playing 15s and then the summer playing sevens do you think that had your career taken off now, or you know, perhaps if you know if you'd been born a little bit later, that you would have stuck with the sevens and you might not have invested so much in the fifteens, or does fifteens always sort of hold a, a special place in your heart? Um, I think the problem for sevens is fifteens pays better, <laughs> and that's the reality. Uh, uh, you know, super if a sevens contract, although they've improved, you know, you, you're still really only looking at getting half of what what a, a a first year you know super rugby player gets and you know sevens sevens is um the best thing about sevens is you know the travel and seeing the world you know you're going to 10 different locations a year um and then there's options for other different little tournaments and stuff like that um like it's just a it's a fantastic way to see the world play some rugby and really you know work on your game because sevens can still be a real good stepping stone for for players to develop their skills to move on to um, 15s, I believe. But I think we've just pigeonholed it that it's, oh, no, it's only for the the, um, the skinny, fast players or, you know, it, for guys that aren't good enough for 15s. And, and I think we've, we've lost a real connection there. I mean, for years, you know, Titch had how many of those, the sevens guys just, you know, came out, went to sevens, did that for a few years and then went on to, to all blacks you know yeah. were, you know you look at cully jonah all of those guys is just you know there's hundreds of them and then um but now there's not many really that are going to go from sevens to all blacks and the ones that do are more likely a couple that have just been loaned first year out of school and and the whole plan is already in place that they're going to go back to 15s yeah. um, they're not there for sort of sevens first. They're they're fifteens, but loan to loan to sevens. So it's it's definitely changed from what it was, and I think it probably just you know back when I first started. The, so my first first camp I ever got um, invited to with Titch. Um, I, you go up there and there's there's just all these big you know it's all the big names from sevens that have played like right through Rushy, and I was lucky enough to Dallas Seymour actually played for Avalon. And he was my mentor when I left school. So um, having a guy, you know, like that, who was still involved with New Zealand Seven, certainly helped and made it a little bit easier to to get in, to get into and not be so nervous about being involved. And in. but yeah, I went there, and the first day was fitness. Uh, was fitness testing. So we did our fitness testing, and you know, me, I was you know pretty light and pretty fit, so that wasn't an issue, and and did pretty well. And then um, that afternoon, we were off to the gym for strength testing. And I was like, oh, no, this is where I'm in trouble. Because, you know, the gym, I hated the gym. I never went to the gym at school. There was, there was no gym at school. I did absolute minimal. Uh, the Wellington Academy testing we ever did, it was me and the halfbacks at the bottom of the, 
bottom of the list, you know. And generally the halfbacks were lifting more than me as well. So like it was it was pathetic. And then uh, I went there and of the 26-odd guys that were in this camp, three of us did the, uh, did the strength testing. And everyone else was like, oh, no, i got a sore shoulder, or this is sore, or no, no, it's not quite right. And nobody had to do it, and nobody even cared. <laughs> it was like, oh, so I was all worried about, you know, underperforming around these guys, and bloody, no one ever even gave two hoots about the, the strength testing, and it was, it was it, you know, Titch's philosophy was, was definitely, he knew everyone had the talent, and he just wanted players that were fit. Mm. and mentally could um could handle it and that was that was what most of your trainings were with just just running drills over and over and over and pushing your your skills under that extreme fatigue and ability to make decisions under extreme fatigue and and that, and that was how we stayed best of the world because he just he just pushed these guys to breaking point well and he certainly broke um, plenty of guys as well but you know, New Zealand was never short of talent, so you know it was it was a winning formula back in those days. But yeah, it's definitely changed now. And we'd only come together two weeks. I oh, would come together two weeks before a tournament, and then you'd have a weekend camp, which was essentially trials. Then he'd name he'd name his squad to go away, and then that team would stay on for a couple of days and then travel over. You know, so you're, you're getting two weeks build up into a tournament and then you know playing and then New Zealand just kept that that for, for far too long I think I think we didn't transition into the professional era of sevens quick enough and everyone sort of caught up and now it yeah we still do we still do pretty well but we're, we're definitely not as dominant as we used to be so it's, it's great that they're all training full-time now and it's a it's a, a career path for some but um I yeah, so I think sevens could certainly be in a better place if we'd done things a bit differently over the years. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say there, not just sevens. There, there's been a number of decisions I think even impacting the fifteens game and like we were, like we just mentioned some stuff at the grassroots level that yeah, unfortunately the the powers that be don't see it like I don't know like us too. So yeah, but so you have you have your love for sevens, but you're still heavily involved with the Wellington setup. So how long did it take before you got your breakthrough to play for Wellington? Because you did eventually get there. So I'm guessing that came after that coach left. And what do you remember yeah. of your your debut for Wellington? Yeah, it sure was after. Yeah, so the year after he left was when I was playing for the Wellington development team because back then you had under 19s and under 21s, and I had. I played under 19s where they, funny enough, they actually tried to make me play on the wing, um, because I was because I was one of the faster ones in the team. But I was just it was so boring out there, so I went straight back into sevens at the end of that rip season. Uh, straight back to seven, played under 21s my first year, so when I was under 20, and then the second year came along, and and I wanted to, like I wanted to actually play Wellington Bs rather than under 21s. The, the way it used to be back then was the Wellington development team, you played the curtain raiser to every Wellington Lions game. So wherever they went, you went. So there was far more travel, you know, and you were playing. And the B team competition was, it was your, your next best players. So it was, it was a really strong competition. And yeah, so I ended up playing for that and um, instead of playing under 21s. And that year, 
had been invited to come along to a couple of Wellington Lions trainings, and then at the end of the year, we were play, oh, towards the end of the season, we were playing Bay of Pliny. Um, this was in 2012, so I was 22, and I got got yeah, selected to jump on the bench for them, which, you know, Thomas was already playing, so my younger brother, three years younger, and he was already starting. Um, he, you know, he was contracted right through the year with them, um, and it was his sort of first year as well, uh, but he had played most of the season. So he, he was starting, and then um, I was on the bench, and... It was it was surreal looking back at it now, and I look at the team, and you know, you had Tana, you had Christian Cullen, you had all these big names: David Holwell, Jason Spice, um, just just a team of guys that I'd looked up to, and had you know used to travel into Wellington to Athletic Stadium, uh, Athletic Park to um, to go and watch, you know, every other Saturday when I could. And just idolised all these guys, and then all of a sudden I was, you know, surrounded by them. And then, you know, sitting on the bench next to me is is Jonah Lomu. You know, it's like, whoa, yeah, holy shit! I'm sitting next to this guy. And um, it was also every time we got up to warm up, the whole crowd would be like, yeah, and make all this noise. And you know, you should just quietly in your head think, oh yeah, they're cheering for me. But no, really, they're just waiting for Jonah to get on. Um, and, that, and so I ended up getting about 15, 15 20 minutes. Um, at Bay Plenty, we were one of the bottom of the table teams. So, um, you know, we ended up, I think we beat them by 50-odd points. But, um, yeah, that was my um, my first taste of of the Wellington Lions. Um, they went on, I'm not sure if they made the, they made the semis, I think. I'm not sure if, they, I don't think they made the finals that year. But And then the next year was um, was my first year of full contract. Um, with them, so 23, finally got you know got my first contract to Wellington Lions, and it was supposed to be my apprenticeship year. Oh, not many 23-year-olds that have apprenticeship years, you know, that age. They're normally bloody 19 these days. And I was behind Cooper Vanessi, you know, another awesome player who'd been around for a long time, really experienced. And then the very first game we played um, at the stadium, he broke his collarbone. Um, and that was him for the season. So I, I went from it being my apprenticeship year to starting every game for that year, and we went through the finals, and you know, definitely one of my most enjoyable years. You know, I wasn't expecting to be where I was, and that that year was a, lo- a bit of a changing of the guard. A lot of those guys had started moving on. It was a lot of guys last years. It was Cullen's last year before he went to Ireland, so they you know started blooding through a lot of players a bit more as well so there was a, a real group of guys that I'd sort of grown up and played rugby with from through school and all of that that were you know starting to make a name for themselves Ricky Flutie, Shannon Paku, you know, guys like that in the backs and then um, you know this when my old school mate like Tim Fairbrother, um, Luke Marnie you know they those guys started making it Ross Kennedy, Ross Filippo and it was just um, Jimmy Gopper, you know, all these young guys. They just, you know, it was, it was the really the first year that they sort of started making a name for themselves, and um, it was just such an enjoyable year. You know, we'd we'd play, we'd go out, socialise together, we'd catch up on a Wednesday um, for a feed and do um, do quiz nights. You know, it was it was just a, a really good group to to hang out with, and, and 
we played far better than we should have. There was, you know, no one would have thought this team on paper would have done, done any good, and we actually made it all the way to the finals. Um, surprised everyone, but at the end we lost to, I think it was Canterbury that year. It was either Canterbury or Auckland. My two years um, with the Lions, we both lost the final one to them each, and they were stacked. Uh, you know, Mertz and Marshall and just Dan Carter and everything, back when All Blacks were actually allowed to play things. So, yeah, it was understandable we'd lose to a team like that. But, um, yeah, it was just such an enjoyable year to start off with and uh, and all that. But, unfortunately, that's when my, my foot injuries started happening and, and sort of my rugby sort of took a bit of a side turn and we ended up in Taranaki a couple of years after that. Mm. Now... I was just about to get to that, but um, you ended up going down to Christchurch for your first Super Rugby stint. I'm not sure if a lot of people will remember that, considering you know people always picture you in a Hurricanes jersey and towards your latter years in the Chiefs jersey. So, what was what was your experience down in Canterbury like? And because whenever I've got any guest on who's spent a bit of time down in Christchurch, I always ask them, you know, like what's in the water down there? Because I mean, their, their track record speaks for itself. So. You know, can you give a first-hand account of you know what makes Canterbury different to you know Hamilton or Wellington? Yeah, so my first Super Rugby you know experience, I got picked up in the draft by the Crusaders. I mean, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, I knew I wasn't. I'd been told I wasn't going to get picked up by the Hurricanes, and that was all right. You know, I still was had sevens. I could have gone back to during that time if I wanted. I think, um, but yeah, picked up in the Crusaders and went down there really unsure of what it was what it was to expect. I was lucky enough, um, Ross Filippo, you know, who had been Wellington Academy, um, and played in the Lions with, he got picked up as well in his first year, so, you know, at least I had somebody down there I knew and, you know, we got it put up in an apartment and just on the outskirts of town and you go along and you go to your first team meeting and it's you know, it's Brad Thorne, Reuben Thorne you know, Mertens, Marshall, uh, Majors, Mark Hammett was hooker um, back then, and it's it's just like, holy, you know, Jesus, am I actually here? And, and the reality was, yeah, you, know, you had Richie McCaw and Johnny Leal, who both played a lot of, you know, Super Rugby and, and been involved in the Crusades for a long time as open sides, so, yeah, you know, I, I knew I was, I was only there as cover, and, you know, back in those days, there was no rotations either, you know, you started your best team pretty much every week. So, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of playing time, but, you know, Robbie Deans was the coach, and it was just a, a real awesome learning opportunity. And I think what, the thing about Canterbury is, it's, like, you, you've got, you got, you got to want to be there. Like, they don't, a lot of those guys... And even now, like, people go down to Canterbury to be part of the academies and stuff like that because they want to be down there and they want to be part of the culture and they want to buy into it. But you can't go down there and just be an individual and not be part of the team. And, you know, it's, it is it is a real team environment. And the leaders who are there are, are awesome. You know, the guys are, you know, big on, you know, you work hard, you do everything for the team, but you, you also enjoy yourself as well and... Um, and have a good time doing it because, you know, you you don't know how long it's going to last, and you got to make the most of every opportunity sort of on and off the field. So, yeah, we we certainly got into a lot of fun down there. But yeah, you, know, you were you knew and you understood pretty quickly that you had to turn up for training every training. You put in a hundred percent of every training, 
and you pushed each other to be to be the best and and, and that's what it was like down there you know we had um we had a pretty my pre-season was was pretty fun we played over in the west coast in a game and then we were we jumped on the bus straight from that game we went to Blenheim we went to Leon McDonald's bar there and boys we had a night out there now, it wasn't too bad it wasn't too big but because everyone knew the next day we were going to Nelson and they were opening a Crusader bar so it was a grand opening and it was you know it was going to be a big night um, for the guys so we, we went there the next day and had a massive huge huge night with the team everyone was allowed behind the bar um, who played for the Crusaders you know it was just open bar I remember just being behind behind it you know it was chocker you could hardly move in this place and um you know just sitting there pouring shots for everyone and just make making up all these cocktails for people and myself and you know it's just a, a great time and then you know you wake up in the morning and you're so hung over but 10 a.m mate we were training and everyone was across the field from where we stayed and everyone was up just running their guts out you know it didn't matter how hung over you were you, you knew you had to turn up in front and you know nobody complained like you knew everyone knew how everyone felt like but still you know just the way everyone turned up and fronted up and and just got stuck into their work and you know it, it just that was just the way you did things and um and it carried on like that through the rest of the season you know we went all the way to the semi-finals and i was all the way to the finals unfortunately we lost the finals uh ben blair had a bit of a meltdown at the back that year I think he let through three tries, uh, just through mistakes, and poor guy. But yeah, you know, it was it was an awesome learning year, a great experience, and I was lucky in the end to get um, fifteen minutes um, for the Crusaders. And funny enough, it was against the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes were out of contention. They were they were near bottom of the table that year. Um, weren't doing too well. We were guaranteed uh, home semi final. Um, so the you know the Deansy gave me a chance, gave me a game, you know, sat on the bench and um, I was there and this is the game where Jerry absolutely knocked out Chris Jack where he just put this massive tackle on him. Chris Jack was just in la-la land and they took him off, they sat him next to me. He's sitting next to me on the bench just going, what happened, what happened? And he just, <laughs> mate, he couldn't remember anything. He kept asking me what happened, you know, what was going on? And I'll tell him, and he's like, oh, jeez, he's like, am I right? I'm like, oh, you'll be right, you'll be right. <laughs> Two minutes later, he'd turn and look at me, he's like, oh, what happened? What's what's going on? I said, Jesus. And, the, and then they want me to go out in the field and play <laughs> against that. Oh. Maybe, maybe I might just stay on the bench for a bit oh, longer. But, <laughs> yeah, we got on, and it, there was the Hurricanes had an awesome game. They ended up smashing us, but they had nothing to lose. It was their last yeah. game of the year. Um, you know, we played a few new, few other guys, and the guys weren't quite switched on, knowing yeah, knowing they had a guaranteed home semi the next week, um, and all that. But yeah, that was my first first taste of Super Rugby, and I was lucky enough the following year to then get picked up um, in the Hurricanes, and um, you know, stayed there for another another six years. Mm-hmm. And before you do the Canes, um, I, I do want to ask a specific question because you were around um, and. Looking over the course of your career, you were sort of just hampered by not only injuries, but 
the talent at your position, you know, like I guess had you come a little bit earlier or maybe a little bit later, you, you probably maybe would have got a lot more opportunities, you know, in the black jersey. But you were around Richie McCaw sort of when he was, you know, rising through the ranks and, you know, was becoming a superstar. I think 03 was when he made his debut. So, like, did you know just being around him every day that this guy was going to go on to be the, the greatest player of all time? And, like, what, like what made him different to... Like, I, I guess like anybody else because I mean you look at the the attrition that he that he went through and the fact that he never got injured was he doing anything special in those days that separated him from the pack or has he just been one of those guys who's been fortunate with with the runner injuries and just taking his opportunity to run with it yeah I, I guess it's hard to I mean at that time you probably didn't think he was going to go on and you know and leave such a legacy in that the black seven jersey um, back then you know you knew he was a good player that was for sure um, he was Super fit, they used to call him um, three lung, and that. And then we had it, and he was a terrible drinker. He was too fit for his own good. That was probably half his problem. We had a crate day. I think he got through about four, and he was he was asleep in the bedroom. <laughs> so he was a bit of a lightweight that way. But no, you, I mean you knew he was a talent. He certainly worked hard at training, and you know p- part of that. I think part of that Canterbury ethos and the way the way they did things down there is, it was right up his alley. And you know he. He worked hard to get to where he was, and you know, I you can say he was lucky to have a, a good run and not not get so many injuries. You know, a lot of that probably just just came down to looking after himself and and training training right. And you know, he was a a bigger body. You know, he was certainly a lot bigger than I was. You know, so he could handle those knocks a, a lot better. And you, you knew he was a quality player, but I guess you, you just probably never knew he was he was going to go so long and just just keep such a high standard for so long as well so mm. I mean I think most open sides around that time kind of wish they had come through at any other time but the problem was he, he was there so bloody long you know you were even yeah. going to have to be playing in the 80s or, or playing playing now to be given a chance really so uh, but I, I didn't mind you know shit, I never thought I'd ever be an all black so the, the day I, I got to put on the black jersey and I, I still struggle to call myself an all black you know, having only played you know one game and it not being a a test, um, it kind of doesn't quite feel right. But um, yeah, I never never thought I'd ever do that. So to to do that was was unreal, you know. And I'm I'm pretty thankful that I was I was able to to get to where I was, especially considering you know the the injuries that I did have. Mm-hmm. No mate, you're an all bit mate. No one can ever take that away from you. Got the jersey, so I mean, and you were involved in those um and and a lot of other um groups you know I remember sort of doing a bit of reading and you obviously went on a couple of end of year tours and like you said because the guy never got bloody injured well, you know even when he did you know even when he had a broken foot the bastard kept playing so yeah it's pretty it's yeah. pretty tough yeah. <laughs> when you got that sort of stuff lined up yeah I'm a little bit jealous because his his um the break in his foot was the same as mine but his sort of you know he managed to play and, and came right and mine <laughs> mine end, ended up being the pretty much my downfall with bloody it ended up breaking breaking it into more pieces and you know and then the end result is now I've got bloody 14 screws so um you know obviously uh, <coughs> things went a little bit better for him uh, <laughs> than me yeah so let, let's get to that injury so you mentioned before that you go back to the hurricanes the the following year after you're down in Christchurch but even when you went into that, I remember listening to, to, to the podcast you, you did with staff and you said that you were actually quite fortunate to get picked up by the, by the Hurricanes 
going into 04 because you picked up that niggly foot injury that you know was pretty much you know the burden of your rugby career and the fact that you know like anytime you mentioned that you sort of got a bit of a roll on you know flare up and and, and cause you a bit of strife so how did you end up actually picking it up and maybe talk about I guess the the effect that it's had on you and I guess your persistence with your rugby career and how you're paying for it now yeah so the at the end of that crusaders um I was um, I got picked up in the New Zealand Māori team that was travelling over to um, Canada to to compete in the, the Churchill Cup over there. So went over there, um, we played a pre-season game, uh, a warm-up game against just a local BC team in Victoria. And um, just as the game started, my, my foot just started to hurt. And I was like, oh, that doesn't feel right. And then it was, like, it was literally from kick-off and I just took off to chase this ball and and it just started hurting and then as the game went on it just got worse and worse and worse by half time I, I couldn't even run so I had to sort of say oh no, no shit I've done something I said you know can you take me off so I came off physio looked at it you know thought maybe I'd just um you know done something to the um, under my foot and I had pretty um pretty flat feet as it is anyway so you know they, they thought oh you know you've just maybe just done something you're plantar fascia or some big word that they use to describe feet injuries and that so you know I missed the first game of the Churchill Cup and then I missed ended up missing the second one as well and then um, I was able to actually get back running um, before the final and got, got picked to be on the final went through the warm-up and yeah that was pretty sore played 20 minutes off the bench in that final um and it was still it was still pretty sore but the you know they just thought it was just you know muscle or something tendon or something i don't know um so i got back to new zealand and where they went and finally x-rayed and i went oh oh actually actually uh, you've broken your foot so they whipped me in for an operation and put a screw in my foot um, to keep the two bones together, sat me in a cast for six weeks um, and then sort of returned to play. And this was all during the start of um, the MPC that year. So I'd missed all the begin, all, pretty much the whole MPC season except for just sort of started back running, you know, a few weeks before the semi-final. And I, ended up, I played two games before the semis um, and then we played the semi in the final. My foot seemed to get, get through that and... And that was all right, and I, I, you know, I was, I was worried that if I didn't play in this NPC game, you know, if I didn't play these games, I wasn't going to get picked up for Super Rugby. So you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, look at in hindsight, I think maybe it, it was probably, t- you know, I should have given it more time. But then, you know, all the physios and doctors are saying, no, no, you're fine, you can play, you can play. So, so I did, and then got picked up in the in the Hurricanes, which was awesome. You know, getting to stay in the hometown and. And be part of them because that you know that was the Hurricanes was you know my team from ever since you know nineteen ninety six so you know to to realise that was a, a dream come true. We had preseason, um, got through that you know, but I wasn't playing eighty minutes or anything. And then we got into our first home game. It was against the Bulls. Got named on the bench. Got about twenty minutes off the bench, but uh, by the end of the game, I just I went to the the physio and just said, look, yeah, this it doesn't feel right. It, I can't 
you know, I was sort of a bit of a limp and just it just I didn't feel right. So I said to him, I like, can we get a scan, an X-ray, just so so we know where it's at? And um, and they finally decided they did um, send me off for a CT scan. So I went and got a scan the next day, and then the physio rings me. He's like, oh yeah, um, no, you're right. That it's not quite right. I said, oh, what's wrong with it? And he said, oh, well, the the original break that we put the screw into, yeah, it's now it's now in six pieces. Um, he said, so we're going to have to operate and um, we're going to have to operate and put um, some some more screws in there. So they, they I had to wait about a week, and then they booked me in for another operation. Although funny, funny, <laughs> I actually played uh, club rugby that <laughs> that weekend too before it. Um, we played. We're playing one of my my least favorite clubs. So I was determined to play, so I ended up playing bloody twenty minutes off the bench. But anyway, so I went and had my operation, and they put yeah you know, put six screws in, put me into cast. So I sat in cast for six weeks. Went back. Um, to, to had an X ray. Doctor said, "Oh no, look, it's not quite right. We'll just leave it for another six weeks in cast." So, um, so did three months in cast. And then went back for another checkup, and the doctor said, "Oh, it's, it's not, it's not quite right. It's not healing." So what we're going to do is we're going to inject this this stuff to help bone growth um, in your foot. Um, we're going to do a bone graph, a bone graph off your hip, and and we're going to put a couple more screws in. So I end up having another operation. They they did the bone graph off my hip and and put in two more screws. So so I now had eight. Eight screws in my foot, back into cast, and end up sitting in cast for another another three months. Weighed about 100 and, 104, 104 kgs now. It finally bulked like all the coaches <laughs> had wanted me to do, but it certainly wasn't a healthy bulk. Too much, too much KFC and and sitting down doing nothing. Uh, but yeah, so we did that, and by the end of that, the the doctor was like, you know, it's it's, it's still it hasn't come right. You know, maybe it's time to look at other options. So, I previously um, bought half a juice bar um, up in Taranaki because because those were the rage back then. Juice bars were just sort of coming in. Anyone had gone to Aussie had gone to and had a Boost juice before they come to New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, I bought a juice bar with Tony Penn, another Hurricane at the time. Um, previously, and then so as you know, rugby wasn't looking like an option. Uh, me and my partner at the time, and and wife now Robin, we decided we were going to we were going to move up to Taranaki and take over the juice bar. So we um, we moved up there, you know, to, uh, got a rental, took over the juice bar, and and that was that was my job was bloody making juices and salads and sandwiches in the sort of cafe that we had there, and you know caught up with the the doctor um, a little bit later after that, and he sort of you know. Um, sort of said to me, oh look, it's not getting any better, it's not getting any worse now you're walking. He said, to, all you can do now is, you know, if you want to start running, um, you can start running and just slowly progressing and seeing how that goes and then um, and go from there. If it's too painful, well, then you might have to take up cycling or something like that. Um, and so I just slowly started progressing. I started sort of going for little runs and then I ended up um, playing a bit of club rugby, 
Um, as I started doing that, I you know, caught up with the Taranaki coach, Neil Barnes, at the time, and just slowly sort of progressed from there. I was certainly taking a lot of anti-inflammatories at the time to get me through it, and so that became the norm for me. But yeah, I did that, ended up getting picked up by Taranaki and, and playing NPC again. And then, um, yeah, ended up from there back into sevens, did a couple of tournaments with sevens, and then back to the Hurricanes, uh, which was which was awesome to sort of go to, go from a point where I, I thought, you know, rugby was over to, to then give, get another opportunity. Was, was you know, very thankful for that. Um, I don't know if the juice bar was what I wanted to really do for, for life, but, um, you know, rugby was certainly uh, what I wanted to do more. So, you know, I was stoked to be to be back doing that, but um, probably, probably to the detri- detriment of my foot these days. But um, yeah, I was stoked to get another opportunity, and you know, end up spending um, you know a few more years with with the Canes, and and end up lucky enough to to play all my my rugby for Taranaki right through to 2012, and, and yeah, I certainly enjoyed being part of that and the development of Taranaki rugby. You know, we were pretty poor our first years. I think we won two out of twelve games the first couple of years. You know. And and it was just a team of battlers, you know. It was there. There weren't a lot of superstars in that team, and you know Taranaki were sort of was just renowned for for good forwards and 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 just some okay backs. And um, and as the years progressed, um, you know different coaches came in. Then Colin Cooper came in, and yeah, you know, he bought Kurt Baker and Andre Taylor, and you know we started picking up a, some young talent, and and then Taranaki just sort of went up and up from there, and. Um, you know, the highlight for me was was in, we ended up winning the Ranfurly Shield in two thousand and twelve or two thousand and eleven, and then holding it um, through to two thousand and twelve. And you know, those were probably the the most enjoyable um, games of rugby I've ever had. I was just about to say, yeah, please tell me that you held it long for the held it longer than this year's team. I mean, it's doing a bit of a, a bit of a road show <laughs> um, at the at the moment, like. Um, but yeah, I guess especially for that Taranaki team now, I guess that was a testament to you know, having the Barrett boys back, and I guess the lift that the All Blacks brought that scene. But before we kick on um, further down down the rugby track, because yeah, I, I do want to touch on a couple more highlights. The All Blacks being the obvious one, but looking back now at the state your foot's in, um, again referring back to Stas podcast, you said you've got pretty advanced arthritis in it, um, and you're still only a young bugger in, in the grand scheme of things. So. Yeah, I know it's easy to look back now. I mean, like, yeah, I wish I'd taken another couple of weeks off. But, you know, like being in that professional environment and, you know, like you touched on at the start of, you know, like the realities of being a, a professional rugby player and how short that window is, you know, like like just how much pressure is, is there for you guys, you know, to battle through injuries and, you know, you don't really understand the long-term consequences until you get to the age that you're at now. And I think especially for you, because you've had to transition back to, you know, like quote, unquote, unquote, normality, you know, by, by working a nine to five job now, um, that that yeah, it's just like there's so much pressure on you guys, and you're like, well, you know, if I don't play this week, you know, I'm giving somebody else an opportunity, you know, to, to take my jumper. So you know, I'm just gonna battle through it, and you know, pop ten voltaren before a game, and you know, just fingers crossed that when I come out the other end of this thing, you know, I'm I'm not I'm sort of together as one piece rather than you know, like your foot, which is in what would you say, twelve, fourteen, whatever it is now. Yeah, fourteen fourteen screws in there now. So, the um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And because I was always battling with the, you know, people saying I was too small, and you know, and it was it was pretty early in the career, really. 
um, when it happened, you know, I'd only just sort of had a, a taste of um, of a, of game time with a couple with these teams. So, you know, I was always you know fighting to to hold my position. So, you know, there was no way I was gonna um, you know not play and let someone else in because I mean, rugby is just uh, New Zealand's just a factory of rugby players, and there's always the next up and coming thing and and someone knocking on the door. So, um, you know, you, you were always going to do whatever it took to, to not let someone else have that opportunity. You know, and a prime example is, is obviously, you know, later when I did finally wear the black jersey and then, you know, I was in the All Blacks for the end of year tour. We went into Super Rugby. I had I had my most consistent Super Rugby, you know, started most of the games. Um, you know, thought I was doing pretty well, you know, and thought I was lined up, you know, well, it's essentially I think I was still sitting at number two in, well, in New Zealand and then get, end up getting another injury and then, then bloody Richie went and got injured and, you know, there's t- two more guys ended up wearing the black jersey, you know, one or, game, one or two games each and, you know, you've you just got to take every opportunity you can. So if it's, it's, if it's something you can play through, then then um, most guys probably probably do it. And, you know, I guess we see it around the world now with all these players sort of struggling with injuries from the past. And, you know, you're certainly, you're not playing rugby a lot longer than you are playing rugby. And um, I think we, we tend to forget that. And I think we, we're probably just too focused on the, the now rather than the, the, the big picture. But, you know, at that at that time, the now is all that's important to you, and the now mm. is all you can you can think about. So, yeah, you know, I, I you know, in hindsight, you, I, I do say I probably should have taken longer and let it recover. But, you know, who knows what that would have meant? That might have meant, um, you know, not making Super Rugby, someone else coming through, and you know, me taking a completely different um, path in life. You know, so. I guess it's just one of those things where we'll, we'll never know. But I, I mean, I don't regret it. I, I you know, um, I got to do so much that I never thought I could would have, and and everything like that. But you know, there's certainly times where you look back and think, wake up in the morning and a little bit of pain, and can't do certain things, and think, shit, I wish I'd just bloody. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Maybe taking up yoga that seems to be a bit of the craze now with all the all the holistic stuff that goes on, but. Um, I tried. I tried a yoga the other day because I was. I'm feeling. I'm needing to get in a, a better shape. But um, I did a bit of a ten minute. Oh, there was only a ten minute loosen up, and oh man, I was absolutely battling. Yeah, it's a lot um, harder than it looks. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, you persisted with it, and you stuck with the anti-inflammatories, you know, to help you battle on. But you got to the pinnacle. You know, you got to what. You dreamed of your whole life, well, you know, what, what practically every Kiwi kid dreams of, you know, and becoming an All Black. So, you know, what do you recall of getting that call? And, you know, I mean, you are a pretty emotional guy. You, uh, you get quite fiery, um, especially on the sidelines at, at Avalon Games and even on the pitch, um, although that's more so to entice, you know, probably the bugger that you're um, having a go at. But to go through all of that, like you said, you know, get to the point where you thought that, you know, you, you were going to, end up just working full-time at a juice bar in Taranaki to then, you know, being, you know, on the sideline um, in Ireland at, at Munster in front of what would have been an unreal crowd, you know. Like, like what did what did that mean for you? Did you cry? <laughs> no, I, I prefer to call uh, passionate rather than angry on the sideline. But, um, no, I, I, I didn't shed a tear. Um, 
wasn't quite um, at that level, but um, it was it was definitely surreal. You know, I think I was just in awe of the whole situation and, and trying to take it all in to to really let the emotions sort of sink in at the time. And you know, there's a lot of pressure on you. Still, the you know, you're wearing that big jersey and you're representing, you know, a hundred plus years of of other people that have worn that black jersey, you know, the history and everything behind it. So there is a lot of pressure on you to, to perform when, when you're wearing it. So, you know, it was, it was a bit of a, a mixture of emotions, but it was just, it was unreal. And I think what kind of made it just so eye-opening is just how passionate, like we're only playing Munster, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of history in that game and, um, you know, then beating the All Blacks, um, you know, all those years beforehand, um, you know, there's, there's a lot behind it and, and everything, but you, you pull up to um, the stadium and every single person's in a Munster, um, either a jersey, tracksuit, hoodie, you know, it's just an absolute sea of red and you can just see how passionate they are for for the rugby and for this team and then you know and then you go and play and then just and then the the eerie silence of when you take a shot at goal and just everyone just is just dead silent and it's just such a different thing to New Zealand you know we you know to be fair our crowds are nothing like what they are over there um albeit that some of them are you know a little bit smaller stadiums and makes it easier to pack out but you know this was still a, a decent stadium absolutely chocker the respect they have for the you know for the people taking shots of goal Should, over here we're bloody we're constantly booing at people and <laughs> making noise trying to put them off and yeah it was it was an amazing experience um and that and you know i would have loved to have to sort of have kicked on from there as well but yeah, you know, unfortunately injuries decided to rear its ugly head right at the wrong time again, and and that so, you know, it was awesome. And to to think that I, you know, two years before that I'd pretty much given up on, on that, you know, ever ever playing professional rugby again, let alone you know, wearing the black jersey, and a lot of that, you know, I've got to credit a lot of that to um, to Taranaki giving me the opportunity and. And you know, sort of uh, coaches, you know, even Titch took me back into the sevens um, when I wasn't, when I was just sort of coming back from my foot and just getting back into it as well. And you know, gave me an opportunity to play in a couple of tournaments. And you know, that sort of, yeah, being involved with that team sort of helped my fitness get right and before getting picked back up in the canes. So, you know, there was, there was certainly a lot of people that helped me get to, to where I was. Um, and I'm pretty thankful to, to ever be there as well. And I was, I was going to make a mention to that Munster game as well because from what I recall, like the All Blacks only just got out of jail. So being in that game, you know, like you mentioned being involved in that Crusaders game where you, you guys are getting pumped and, you know, you don't want to go on the field. Like, did you have that same feeling at that Munster game? When like, oh, shit, like I don't want to be on the wrong side of history here, you know, like with it being your first game. Yeah, there's definitely that. I mean, I think I... I... I always thought we we would win because you know it was a bloody good team mm. and you know they were massively passionate. The guys were just they were giving the Munster guys they were they would have happily died out on that field you know if given their bodies up to win that game you know it meant so much to those guys that we were playing against. Um, but we just we just weren't quite clicking. It didn't help. We had a, um, so the ABs played on uh, they had a test the game before oh, on the weekend and then 
we had our team run for our team who's going to play on the Wednesday and we trained together with that group. We only got one training together as that, that playing group because obviously the tests are where it was mainly focused at. But then a couple of guys got injured in the test. So then our team ended up getting changed again. So we ended up going in with a team that didn't even have a team run together. It was changed last minute in that morning, really. Um, so it was a little bit uh, messy that way. And, you know, it, we just didn't quite click, just not having any any time to run around together as, as that group. And we bombed. We certainly bombed opportunities um, and everything like that. But, yeah, thank God in the end, um, Rokothoko scored the try to to win it for us because, oh, man, that would have been, yeah, that would have been embarrassing. Yeah. To be fair, because it wasn't it wasn't even Munster's best team. Like they, 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 they we were playing Ireland the um, on the following weekend, so all of those players were out. So it was a mixture of obviously a couple of you know the internationals that play there for them, you know, and and their guys. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't have been an ideal one to lose. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. So yeah, you you achieve your dream, you stay on that tour, and then. You come back to rugby, and I guess it's the same old story for you know the foot and whatever other injuries you know were just a a, a damper on your career. You know it seems as if you know whenever you get like a good run of form, because I remember like I mean I don't quite remember your career, but my old man was such a big fan of you um, because he always thought that you reminded him of Josh Cronfeld, but with his style of play in terms of getting over the ball and you're a very good support player, very quick around the park, and you know, whenever I. Like when I left school and I told him that you know I was going to Avalon because of you, he said like yeah yeah you were just telling me about scooter but he said yeah he was just one of the unfortunate ones um probably like you said because of your size that that doesn't help with going up against some pretty big blokes and you know taking all those blows yeah the the injury stuff yeah I, I guess was the I guess the biggest talking point in your career but you ended up rounding it off with, with a couple of years of Super Rugby at the Chiefs so what, I mean what came about with that switch you know was that part partly to do with, you know, Taranaki realigning with, with the Chiefs, you know, their, their switch from the Hurricanes, or was it just a case of, you know, getting a better opportunity, getting some game time, because you maybe had a little bit more competition at the games? No, so about 2010, um, I sort of, we'd finished the season. You know, like I, I went on the India Tour 2009, uh, 2008, and then 2009 had a, you know, I had a good year, played a lot of, um, started a lot, and then we played the semi-finals against the Chiefs, and um, you know this is when I, I was, you know, thought you know I was sitting at number two, um, and they were going to name the Tri Nations, and I thought I would have um, was going to get named in that squad. But we had the semi-finals and made a tackle, got up over the ball, and I ended up having my back to the opposition, and I was going for the ball, so not, I wasn't exactly a great um, position, and. Um, one of their big locks came through and dropped the shoulder right into my lower back and I went down got up and I was like oh she's that hurts um, I got up the play carried on and then the ball went out we had a line out went over to the line out stood at the back of the line out um, opposition ball they passed it wide I chased across and I was like oh I could hardly run I was like oh this, is, this isn't good and oh, they made they made half a break, and I had to sprint back. And then there was a tackle, and I jumped over the ball again, trying to get the ball back, and then got cleaned out. And then um, 
I was on the ground and I was just like, oh my God, nah, this, this hurts. So I stayed on the ground, physio and doctor came over and I got carted off the, off the field from there, went and then um, we didn't, we were, we were flying home that night after the game because whoever won that game was going to be, have to head to South Africa the next day for the finals against the Bulls, so um so I didn't have time to go to the hospital or anything. Got to the airport. I lay on the laid on the floor at the airport. Um, luckily, there was no one else around. It was just us. We were the only flight. Flight got cancelled. So back to the hotel. We were lucky enough to get back into the hotel. The boys had their end of year um, booze up. I just stayed in my hotel bed. Couldn't move. And then there the next morning back to Wellington, just in a lot of pain in my lower back. Like, couldn't even sit on the toilet. It was just so painful. Had it went had straight to, um, straight for an X-ray. Had an X-ray and I'd broken four, um, they're called transverse processes. And they're the little bones that's, that are attached to your spine. Um, and I'd broken four of those. So that was the end of rugby for a, for a little while for me. So that was me out of contention for the, the OBs that year. Um, and, yeah, I had to just bed rest for six weeks from that. So, yes, good old injuries um, from there. So that was um, – so. but I came right, played um, for Taranaki for the NPC that year. Then we got into, um, into uh, 2010 – back into the Hurricanes for my last year on my contract. Um, you know, played that season, bit of up and down uh, with them. And Carl Lowe was in the squad from Hawke's Bay. You know, he was playing really well. And we were sort of sharing a bit of game time um, from that. And then at the end of the 2010 season, uh, we were we were having an end of year celebration, so it wasn't much of a celebration. It was a bit of an average year for us, but we were having an end of year um, drinks in that end of season. And I I went up to one of the coaches early in the night and sort of said, you know, you know, I've got to resign. You know, my contract's up. You know, well, it's do you guys want to resign me? And he kind he sort of said, oh, like we you're going to have to have a really, 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 really good. Taranaki ITM, I think it was ITM Cup at that time, if, if you're going to make it back in the team. So I was a bit of a bummer about that, um, thinking, oh, you know, I was all relying on, on my Taranaki. You know, I obviously hadn't done enough that year to get another contract, but all of a sudden I got a phone call from Ian Foster, and he sort of said, you know, look, we're, we're keen to have you up in the Chiefs, sign you up for a two-year deal. Um, you know, are you interested in, in coming up? And I sort of had to weigh it up as, you know, do I risk um, a season? You know, I could get injured game one and, you know, and then be screwed. You know, or do, do I sign for two years of of a, a two-year contract knowing that I'm you know, going to get paid for the next two years? And in the end, um, you know, the two years was was the no-brainer, really. I had to, had to take the money. So I signed with the Chiefs. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have stayed at, at Hurricanes. Like I said, you know, Hurricanes was, you know, the team, you know, I idolised growing up and, you know, I, I never really, I never wanted to leave the Hurricanes, but, you know, when you look at it for, as a work, you're not going to turn down a, a promotion 
you know, the chance to get fired. So, <laughs> um, so you know, I had, I had to take it. Went out the Chiefs. Um, you know, we we didn't have a great year that first year. You know, Ian Foss was the coach. Uh, Scott McLeod um, was the assistant coach, and like it was, it was a it was a really good team culture. Um, everyone got along. You know, it was it was, it was another enjoyable year of, of playing rugby and. You know, I played a lot of rugby that year. Uh, me and Latimer played a lot of six and seven, um, which which was awesome. Sort of you know sharing that open side role and getting to run a little bit more than I probably had, you know, in the past by just being an open side and just being stuck hitting rucks. And you know we we didn't do that well. We lost most of our games, but it was a fun year. I got to do a a weekly newspaper report for um for the paper, which was cool. It got a little bit tough trying to explain losses every, every bit, but um, now I got to do that. Really enjoyed Fozzie, you know, he's a great coach, great team man. And uh, Stormy Scott McLeod was, you know, just sort of really starting to develop as a coach. And, you know, he was hugely passionate um, about it and, you know, spent a lot of time with him involved in the de- defence and stuff. And I actually had one of my best defensive years um, that year as well, I finished up, I think, my, my stat was uh, 96% tackle rate. And I went I went 86 tackles in a row with, without missing one. Um, and that, so, you know, I had, a, you know, it was, it was a good year. Um, you know, I went back to Taranaki, um, 2011. You know, we won the round for the Shield. And, you know, I, I definitely, I'd, I'd given up on that all-black dream. You know, I just... For me, it was just about sort of lasting as long as I can and sort of mil- milking the cash cow, as you'd say, um, as long as it would last. And, you know, 2011 was was an awesome year of Taranaki, won the Shield, managed to hold on to it. Thankfully, that was, um, that was the year of the World Cup, so they condensed, they condensed the Mitre 10, or sorry, ITM or Jesus, whatever it was called. <laughs> I just call it NPC. Um, they condensed it that year, so you were playing Sunday, Thursday. You know, it was real short turnarounds, and we'd won the Shield on a on a Thursday down in Southland, and our defence was the Sunday against Hawks Bay. So, and it was our last game. So if if we had lost, it would have been the shortest turnaround ever. And <laughs> it so like. You know, normally you win the Shield, massive celebration, but, you know, most of us didn't even have a drink that night. Um, you know, we went back with the family and the, and the supporters back to our hotel and, you know, and you know, people always had a few beers, but it was it was pretty relatively low-key because, you know, everyone was determined not to have that shortest um, record, so... Um, we we sort of decided as a group would would wait until we had at least defended it, you know, won this last game and locked it away in the cabinet for summer um, before we we made the most of it and um, so we managed to do that. Hawks Bay, you know, we we won that pretty convincingly, but just like it's amazing what the the shield does to a to a province, a small province, you know. It was sold out tickets, you know, sold out the next day big parade helicopter bringing in the shield like it was just it was awesome and you know, it was just such an awesome feeling you know you go out for brunch you know it was on you know you didn't have to pay for it you know that you, you know did say oh no good luck boys you know well done on winning the shield here that's on us 
and everything and then you know retaining it and knowing that you know um you'd kept it we certainly made the most of those celebrations i think we i think we celebrated for about five days after that sort of became an end of year week rather than a, a one-off end of year night and, and that was cool and then um yeah back to back to the Chiefs for my second year but um this year was a bit of a change so um Dave Rennie was the new coach and I, I certainly knew I was going to be facing uphill battle so going back to the start of our conversation where you know the coach for the Wellington team had said I was too small and wasn't really interested in giving me a chance well that was um that was actually Dave Rennie um so as soon as I knew he was the coach I, I sent him a message and I was I thought you know I'll, I'll start the groundwork and I said oh you know congratulations um you know looking forward to having you up here and all of that sort of stuff and obviously that didn't work um, <laughs> and it was definitely my least enjoyable year of rugby um unfortunately for Super Rugby and my last, so which, which was a pretty shit way to finish. You know, I was, I was Super Rugby um, for me. I, you know, I went there with high hopes of another good season. We had a few new guys coming in. Tom Contry was coming into the um, to coach, and he was pretty. Inex- he was definitely inexperienced at, inexperienced at that level. And you know, we had uh, guys like Brody Retallick come in for the first time. And uh, Tommy Afuna came in, but but Bray Retallick was just an absolute beast, and just from that first year, you know, he was awesome. He 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 added a lot of stuff that we sort of had missed in that previous year with the with the team, uh, which which Aaron Cruden, you know, a couple of guys, which was which is what we needed. You know, they needed a few teams. Sunny Bill, sorry, Sunny Bill came in. Um, and just brought this real professionalism. We changed our training base, so instead of being based at the stadium and having a pretty average setup, you know, we had this massive training base that was just ours, huge gym, you know, everything you could need was all in this one place, and it it certainly changed that team. And and you know, they ended up it, it showed why they ended up going and winning, winning it um, that year. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I just I just never really got an opportunity. It was it was um, it was probably a good year for Sam Kane because it was the first year he started coming through. Um, Latimer was still was still pretty much number one, but yeah, I just didn't really get an opportunity, and Kane was was sort of always given that that bench spot. And it was I think my what frustrated me the most was just a real a lack of communication and trust um, from from Renz, To be fair, yeah, he told me I'd always get my opportunity, and my opportunity came. And it was 15 minutes in a pouring down rain against the Lions, who were bottom of the table, in um, um, Pukekohe on a crappy Friday night. Um, and you know mm. what can you do with 15 minutes? Yeah. And then I think I got one, I got one more 15 minute be- stint off the bench against the Blues, who were it was the end towards the end. They were out of contention. They weren't doing very well that year, and we were sitting pretty for a home semi as well. And I got. Oh, 15 minutes off the bench which which was nothing you know what can you do so that was the end of that um the the funny thing i said it to staffers uh as well like i i knew they weren't going to contract but no it was like no one would say it to me no one would tell me they weren't interested in resigning or anything and it came to our 
end of year awards dinner before before the season was even up. They had it, you know, a couple of weeks before the end of the season, and they did this big presentation of jerseys for guys that were leaving. And these were guys that had announced they were leaving overseas. Uh, Kane Thompson was heading overseas, and everyone knew it. And so they presented all these jerseys, and then um, and then they they presented me with one. And it's like I'd never said that I was leaving, you know. If if they'd asked me to resign, I probably would have, you know, purely because of the, you know, the money, you know, it being my job and all that. But nah, here you go. Here's your farewell jersey. And that was that was their way of telling me that that they didn't want me back, uh, and that was it. So, pretty knew my time was up there, and back to Taranaki for my last last year of NPC. And, you know, we had the Shield. You know, I was still playing good rugby for them. You know, we we defended it against Hawke's Bay and Canterbury. You know, beating, you know, defending against Canterbury was huge because I don't think they'd, they'd never lost the Shield Challenge just about, you know, back then. And um, to, so to hold it off and, and to score the winning try was awesome. Um, it was just such an a, amazing time. But um, unfortunately... A week later, our midweek game, we're away to Northland, and I went to clean out a guy and ended up bloody breaking my breaking my forearm, and that was that was the end of that. That was the end of my rugby. I um my foot had been playing up like that year at EPC. All I was doing was I'd play, I'd rehab, I'd sit on the bike. I wouldn't do much team training. I'd get good enough. To play, uh, to do the captain's run, and then I'd play the next game, and that was it. You know, my foot was was just was giving me grief. I was smashing back the Voltarans sort of every day, twice on a match day. My guts were just churning, and you know, I just I I'd get these real bad stomach cramps and and all of that, and and once I'd done my forearm, I sort of said to the our, our doctor at the time, um, Dr. C- Steve Smith, and sort of said to him, oh, look, it's, um, maybe it's time we finally have another look at this. Because we'd been, I'd been avoiding it because I knew the moment I, I get it looked at, it was going to, it was going to be bad. Um, so we went, went, got an x-ray once we got back to Taranaki, met up with the doctor and he, he showed it to me and it was just, it was an absolute mess. Some of the screws had snapped. Um, there was just like there were bits of screw just floating in my foot. You know, there were parts of screw that had pushed out of the bone, and I could actually, I could, yeah, I could feel them on the top of my foot. You know, for the last few years, you know, you could feel this bump and this real hard bit of metal, and um, it was it was just an absolute. It was massively arthritic. It had you know, um, arthritis all through it, and. He just said, "Oh look, you know, this is a, it's an absolute mess." So I went saw the specialist, and the specialist said, "Oh look, mate, all you can do now, the best thing we can do is fuse the bone together to another bone, and t- try and take out what we can, all these loose bits." But the reality is that was the end of that was going to be the end of your rugby. So I, so that was it. I ended up having my last operation, put in four more four more screws. Um, 
longer ones that went through that bone into the next one. They took out all the little bits of metal that were broken off. They they tried to take some of the other stuff out, but he said he couldn't even get it out. Mm. It was just stuck in there. Then then yeah, back to my favourite cast and um, and a bit of and re, you know recovery from there. Um, and it was a bit of a bugger because I ended up getting a phone call. Probably uh, I was kind of near the end of what would have been pre-season for Super Rugby um, from Scott McLeod down at the Highlanders, and he sort of said, "Oh, we had a terrible run of injuries. I've lost my two open sides." They said, you, "You're interested in coming down and playing for the Highlanders for the year?" And I said, oh, "Oh, bloody hell! Maybe I should have held off a bit longer." <laughs> um, and then, then I could have ticked off four out of the five Super Rugby <laughs> franchises. But yeah, unfortunately, I had to turn that down. And I had another contract for Taranaki for two years, but I couldn't. Um, I couldn't do the medical. Couldn't pass the medical at that stage. So, so I had to sort of let go of that, and, and that was the end of rugby. Mm. Um, and then, then reality sunk in. Of oh sh- shit, I got to find a job. What am I going to do? And going from earning, you know, earning a decent wicket, you know, being. A lot of people said, you know, what, you know, when you go overseas, you know, earlier and stuff, but because I played for so long, you know, you know, my first contract was, you know, around 2001 with, with the sevens. And then, you know, I'd, I'd had contracts from there, you know, and each year you sort of negotiate a little bit more. And, you know, I, I was, I was earning good money, you know, that, that All Blacks title, that certainly, um, that adds a little bit to your, to it as well. So, um, yeah, I was, I was, by the time I'd finished, you know, I was, you know, probably, you know, earning the most out of the Taranaki and, you know, getting good Super Rugby money. So I certainly didn't need to, but, mate, going from that to not having, like, I, did, I didn't have a trade, I didn't have a degree, you know, I, d- I didn't have anything. You know, the last job I had was was owning the juice bar, and I'd... I'd invested most of my money into into my house at the time so you know I didn't have money to go buy a business or do anything and um the reality that a lot of these sportsmen face of of that mess of that quick drop in income um really sunk in and it's it's bloody tough I ended up my I couldn't my first job out of rugby was stacking shelves I had to go and stack shelves for a bit until I could find a job and uh, the supermarket city doesn't pay the same as uh, New Zealand rugby. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just a, you know, that's that's the reality, you know, for guys who aren't, you know, your Richie McCaws and your Dan Carters. And I guess even with your time now, I know a lot of guys are buggering off to Japan and off to the UK a lot earlier, you know, when they sort of see that that, that all-black door is closed on them and they're probably earning um, good enough money to sort of see them through or, you know, like keep them afloat. Um, rather than sort of that, that quick transition back to normality that you went through. But, you know, even looking through that, I know that um, having talked with a couple of the boys around my age and even a little bit younger that are going through the academy system and, you know, the direction that they want these young fellas to go down, you know, they want to look at, you know, life after rugby and making sure that they've got some sort of study up their sleeve. But even with that, it's like even if you have that, like having gone through all the things that you've gone through and, you, like you said, having to go to stacking shelves after being on TV, you know, every other night. Do you think that there's the rugby union, there's, there's sort of this obligation for them to, to ensure that, especially for guys like yourself who, you know, have been long-standing servants of the professional game in New Zealand and have invested so much into it, you know, you, you, you pretty much have 
have given your foot away, you know, for, for playing rugby, that there needs to be more done to, to ensure you guys have a um, an easier transition back to a nine to five because I mean like I mean you're pretty headstrong so um, I could see you know like sort of making that adjustment you know and not getting too down about it but I'm sure there are guys and there's probably guys that you know that were in similar positions you know where it really hit them hard you know like if you've got a mortgage and you've got a family to raise and all of a sudden the money's not coming in you know and especially like with being a man and you know guys and talk about this sort of stuff you know that stuff can eventually you know become you know quite a big thing to deal with and guys are sort of bursting at the seams and doing whatever else so yeah that's a bit of a long-winded sort of question i'm asking you but did you get the sort of thing that i'm yeah absolutely oh, i definitely know what you're talking about and you know probably those first years of the academy we, we were given opportunities to study and like you know I, I did the exercise science stuff and and then realized it wasn't quite what i wanted to do but then um there was no at that stage there was no real push for you to make sure you did it you know the, the opportunity was there um if you wanted to do it but it was just kind of a side thing to the rugby uh, i mean it's certainly changed over the days you know you, got, you now got your um players associations and then for new zealand as well as you know the, the pacific island players association who are doing you know doing a lot of really good stuff focused in that area of helping players who you know come out of rugby careers battling with you know battling with injuries battling with the mental changes in life and you know it's still a big thing uh, it's a huge thing and I think um, you know there's, there's stuff being done which is you know opening up people's eyes to it and letting the current guys now see that you know you need to you need to make sure you've got your life after rugby sorted you know as soon as possible so then you then you don't have to worry about that sort of thing and Guys are, are definitely better at doing it. I think it's probably the generation just the generation before me. You know, I sort of came in at the end of you know when that two thousand we'd had four years of professional rugby, but those guys probably didn't really. It was it was nothing like it is now, and you know they they a lot of them were still working. A lot of them already had jobs before you know starting that. So. Um, they most of them weren't too bad, but that that two thousand to two thousand and ten group, you know, that was that was the real transition to professional life, I think, and that was when guys just purely focused on the rugby, I think, more than that off field stuff and, and now it's it's coming back to bite some of them and going from a environment where you're told what to do, you're told what to eat, um, you're training every day, you're looking after yourself to now being older having you know the repercussions of these injuries and not the same nutrition not the same training habits and all that sort of stuff starts weighing on your mind and you know you, you get in bad shape and and mentally it, it's not a great place to be for someone who's been a professional sportsman but it's awesome to see that different things are happening I've been lucky enough to be asked to be involved. I can't. I can't keep myself off the rugby field, which is half my problem. Um, even though I know I shouldn't, but I've been asked to play in a game in a couple of weeks um, for the um, new new TV series on Three Match Fit um, with Pity Wepu and a couple of ex guys, and, and that's really focusing on a, a lot around that mental health and life after rugby and 
you know, physically looking after yourself, um, which does then, you know, lead on to men- the, the mental side of things. And, you know, it's cool to, to, to see stuff um, being done like that, but um, I, I think we did um, miss a boat a little bit on a, on a generation of rugby players, and, and they're the ones who are really suffering the most, mm. um, that's for sure. So, you know, it's, it's definitely better. We're definitely in a better place now. But I'd hate to, for these players to still get caught up that it's all about the rugby. Where you've got to look at the big picture because, like I said, you're you're not playing rugby a lot longer than you are, and you need to have something to fall back on because mate, the last thing you want to do is be injured and be stuck labouring, filling shelves. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with them, but mate, when you've played ten years of professional rugby, like pulling a pallet. And lifting all these heavy boxes, it's it's painful stuff. It's it's bloody sore. So um, you know, get you, getting yourself sorted and getting yourself right for your family is is key. Mm-hmm. Totally, I guess that's the the highs and the lows of of a professional rugby player. And like you said, in your case with the injuries that you've sustained over the course of your career and where you're at now in your life, and you know, like you said, that's the everyone sees all, all the sexy stuff that comes with being a rugby player, you know, the money, um, you know, the, the fame, you know, being on TV every other week. But then, you know, like once, you know, your day in the limelight is gone and, you know, if, if you're not one of the bigger dogs, it's, you know, it can be quite a harsh reality, you know, sort of coming back down to earth and then having to, to adjust to it. But like you said, you know, it doesn't sound like you'd, you'd change anything um, considering like all the things that you achieved over the course of your career and, yeah, I think that's pretty much what I wanted to encapsulate um, with this podcast from, from from what your career is. But just before um, I let you go, bro, I've I got two different sections. So um, one of the things I like to do um, with, with the footy players that I get on is talk about their game day routines because I know as professional athletes, you know, there's a lot of repetition that goes in. And so maybe talk us through, you know, like what was, can you remember like your game day prep and did you have any superstitions before games, anything like that? I... My, my game day prep, you know, obviously, because generally when you're away with a team, it's it's sort of the same routine. Um, when you're at home, you, you try to sort of replicate that a bit. So generally um, get up, have breakfast, have a couple of um, Voltaren <laughs> <laughs> in there. Um, and then 10 o'clock-ish, you know, go and meet some of the guys um, for a coffee or a, or a hot chocolate, which was more in my case back then. And we'd play some cards. I used to love a bit of cards in the morning. And, and we had a, a pretty good group in Taranaki, particularly. We'd um, play cards all the time. Um, so we'd play a bit of cards in the morning, go and have lunch. And then actually, I'd normally go back to bed if I could. <laughs> I went, went back, have a sleep, and just rest up. Because, you know, you're playing at 7 o'clock at night. So yeah, you know, I'd, I'd go and try and get a bit of sleep in, and then, and then you know you're just meeting for your your pre your warm up with the team. You run through a few things, a few active activations and stuff before before heading to the ground. Um, from there as well, and I mean I didn't really have a lot of routines. Sort of the more the the more I went along, probably the less I warmed up. It was just probably I don't know whether I was just trying to save myself, but or it was or it was just getting lazy but you know yeah I'd, I'd try and have a pretty light warm-up spend half my time rolling on the ground because you know 
I knew I was about to spend half my time bent over rucks and bent over bodies trying to trying to pinch the ball. So I just try and do that. And then um, they we used to always you know you'd have either a squeezy or you know with a bit of Powerade or a, or a caffeine pill, um, sort of half an hour before you got out there, and and that was it. You just went and did it. I didn't really. It was nothing out of the norm for me. It was it was normally pretty pretty basic, although. The only thing I did, I, like I just used to try and switch off. You know, I didn't like to try and go over the game too much. I used to try and stay nice and relaxed. So, bit of music, and then used to just play uh, on my phone, which was pretty limited back then. So it was normally <laughs> solitaire, um, or a bit of free cell or something. That was about as far as it went, and, th- and that was me. You know, just sort of, just head down and just wait for kickoff. Really. Yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. Um... All right, we'll, we'll go to my last segment then. So, 10 of the bin. So, I've just got 10 questions for you. And you just um, you answer them as honestly as possible. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was your go-to drink, or is it still now? What is your go-to drink at a pre-drinks? At a pre-drinks? Even yeah. an alcoholic drink, you're meaning? Yes, that's the one. Uh, my go-to used to be vodka and oranges. I used to smash them. Vodka and oranges were my, always my go-to. Now, I'm a bit more, a bit more of a bourbon um, but the, to be fair, actually, I don't even drink that much now. But Vulcan oranges were definitely my go-to. Screwdrivers. Mm, All right. Who's the biggest coach's pet that you've been around or had been around? Uh, ooh, Ross Filippo. He was such a suck-ass. <laughs> <laughs> Ross Filippo. Oh man, he just yeah. But <laughs> he he loved. It. He was always he was always real good with the coaches. Loved talking to them. He was always their best friend. Definitely. Got to do what you got to do. All right, must yeah. do on a day off. off from your, yeah, from your from your playing days. What what did you have to do on your day off? Nothing. Day <laughs> off was just a nothing day. I was normally too sore to do anything. <laughs> I just stayed in bed long as long as I could. It was, it, and then if we're lucky enough, go to the pools, go jump in a spa. Nice. Now I know that you're a fitness freak, but did you have a least favorite fitness block? Mate, anything in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, Titch's 80-60-40s at the end of training um, were just, they were killers. Just, because it was the end of the training. You were already knackered from training, and then you're doing a fitness block at the end. And and he'd stand there screaming the time as well. He didn't have a watch. He'd pretend he was looking at a, at a stopwatch. He'd have nothing in his hand, and he'd be just... 23, 24, like he, you know, everyone's got to be through by 26 seconds. And he'd just make it up. And he'd, he'd start early so that the guys would not get there in 26 <laughs> seconds so he could add on more. And that was his thing. Like he was just, he was trying to break you mentally by doing that as well. But you, you knew it was coming. If you'd been around long enough, you knew it was coming. But yeah, them at the end of training, they, they just used to kill me. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting sore just thinking about it. <laughs> All right. Um, favorite cheat meal? Oh, man, I got such a sweet tooth. I I I never from the age of twenty. I was no matter how much I trained, I never had a six pack because I had such a sweet tooth. I just ate, just ate so much chocolate and stuff. Ah, oh, I do love a banoffee pie. I do love a banoffee pie. Mm, good choice. All right. Most regretful purchase. So, is it has it my been something? Car, my first car. <laughs> Super uh, first paycheck for Super Rugby, I went and bought a forty thousand um, dollar uh-huh. Ford XR6 Turbo Ute. 
two person just an absolute waste and lost. It's was, it was such a it's, a it's a it's a selfish car because you can only fit you and one person. It has n- had no where to put anything, um, so your bag just rolled around on the back. And then as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's worth half the price. I think I sold it, and I think I sold it a few years later for like twelve grand. It was just an absolute waste. I wish I'd never done that. <laughs> Oh, young and with money, eh? Oh. Dumb, absolutely dumb. Going from nothing to a a super rugby, and just blowing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, experience is the best teacher. All right, um, guilty music pleasure. Oh, oh my god, I have such a bad taste in music. I listen to everything. Um, oh, mate, I, I I was a massive Britney and Spice Girls fan. Um, I did. <laughs> I did enjoy their music. You uh, enjoyed just, their music, or you enjoyed looking at them? Oh, I might have had a thing for. Um, <laughs> for some reason, Sporty Spice was um, was my favourite Spice, but and Brittany was obviously she was a good looking lady, but um, no, I, I, I definitely I did enjoy the music and used to play their music, but um, and at the moment, I've got a I've got a thing for bluegrass covers of like just classic songs like ACDC songs songs you know. And um and just bluegrass covers of them. <laughs> oh, that's your own best dance move. So, what would your go-to dance move be? Oh, none. Oh, terrible, terrible. I oh, terrible. When I was when I was at intermediate, I used to think it was cool at the school discos. I would clear the dance floor and I'd like run and do a forward flip into like this dance pose and then into a running man and thing and ah. Oh, Man, I used to think that was cool, but I'm a terrible dancer. I do not drink unless I am at least 12, 12 alcohol drinks deep. You won't find me on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, me and you both, mate, me and you both. Biggest grub you've played with and against? Oh, Jared Hawada with that. Jared. We played one game and um, we're playing against Wellington, I think it was. Ross Kennedy was trying to pull me into the ruck and I went to <laughs> I went to bang his hand away. He's another grub as well, but um and then um Jared Hoyada just flying hook to hit Ross Kennedy <laughs> missed him, smacked me in the face, ended up giving me a black eye. Uh, but he was just he was he's just uh, he loved he loved being the enforcer. You know, he was just such a mongrel on the field. He's definitely the biggest grub. All right. I'm glad he was on my team. Most uh, glad he was on my team. <laughs> yeah, every team needs one. Definitely. Uh, uh, last question. Who is better, you or your brother? Oh, mate, come on! You can't say that. Um, it's mate. We were two different players. We we're two, two diff- absolutely different people. Um, like he like. He was half the reason, you know, being having a brother like that was probably half the reason we got to where we are as well. As kids, we would go down to the creek and we'd play just one-on-one. And I would spend my whole time trying to run around him and he would spend his whole time trying to run over me. And that was and, and that was pretty much the way our rugby careers went, you know. He was just mm. cart the ball up and, and I was trying to run around everyone and had to learn to tackle, tackle the big guys. But, like... He was another one who was pretty unlucky as well, you know. You had Rodney and 
Kieran, Kieran Reid, you know, in front of him and just, you know, lacked an, op- really an opportunity. And, you know, he went to the UK and, and, and he did awesome. You know, he was, you're, not, you're, you're doing all right if you can be a Kiwi, you go over there and end up being like a, a cult hero for a, mm. for a team. Um, and to be top try scorer, MVP of the Premiership and everything is, you know, it's pretty awesome. And uh, he did he did bloody well um, for himself. So, mate, obviously I'm going to say I'm better because I'm the one who ended up playing for the All Blacks and he only played for England. But, you know, he, he played a few more tests than me and and everything. And at the moment he's probably in better nick than I am. Um, but I'm still recovering from another another injury operation so um so yeah it's hard but yeah he's he's certainly um he certainly did bloody well and i you know i've got to give him his credits that he was a he was a pretty good player in his day well mm-hmm. he's, he still is mate he plays in the over 35s and he just carves up um so you know he, he, he was a good i'll say even eh i'll be political and say even finish yeah, it on that that's not a bad answer it's not a bad answer well it's been a long old yarn, Scooter, but um, it, it's been really, really eye-opening. Um, it, it's good to get a glimpse into a guy who's, who's reached a pinnacle, but like you said, you know, hasn't sort of rode off into the sunset and, you know, isn't driving a fucking Ford Ute or going out and splashing 40K on it, you know, like some of the some of the retirees are doing these days. And it's cool to see that, you know, you've transitioned into a career that you've really enjoyed and, and you're still giving back to the grassroots level because... You know, at the end of the day, you know, as much money as the All Blacks make, um, they're only as good as their fans. And for the most part, it's, you know, it's, it's it's battlers like myself and whoever else are out there to go and spend a couple hundred bucks to go watch them this Sunday afternoon. But um, thank you very much for, for opening up and, and being very transparent about your career. And, yeah, mate, all the best with your recovery and all the best for you going forward with you and your family. No worries, it's been a pleasure, Kingy. You're going to have to edit a shitload of this down, but um, I'm sure you'll be fine. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Always, mate. All right, you enjoy the rest of your day, brother. I'll catch you later. Sweet. You too, mate.